part one chapter seven of the tree of heaven by may sinclair this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by expatriate in bangor maine part one peace chapter seven bartholomew anthony's brother lived in bombay and looked after his business for him in the east he had something the matter with him and he had come home to look after his own health at least bartholomew's health was what he was supposed to be looking after but dorothy had heard her father say that bartie had come home to look after vera vera was bartie's wife and veronica's mother before she became mrs bartholomew harrison she had been frances's schoolfellow and her dearest friend frances fleming had been her bridesmaid and had met anthony for the first time at vera's wedding when he had fallen in love with her and she had fallen in love with him when they stayed together in bartholomew's house before bartholomew took vera to bombay bartie had not been married ten months before he wanted to get vera out of england and vera had not been in india for ten weeks before he wanted her to go back they were always coming backwards and forwards but they never came together vera would be sent home first and then bartie would come over in a great hurry and take her out again twelve years after their marriage veronica was born in simla and the coming and going ceased for three years then bartie sent them both home that time vera had refused to travel farther westward than marseilles she was afraid of damp and cold and she had got the ship's doctor to order her to the riviera she and veronica had been living for two years in a small villa at agaya this summer she had come to england she was no longer afraid of damp and cold and bartie followed her dorothy and michael had no difficulty in remembering vera though it was more than six years since they had seen her for vera looked the same her hair still shone like copper beech leaves her face had still the same colour and the same sweet powdery smell and if these things had changed frances would still have known her by her forehead that looked so broad because her eyebrows and her eyes were so long and by her fine unfinished passionate mouth by her pointed chin and by her ways but though her brother-in-law's ways had always been more or less disagreeable Frances was not prepared for the shock of the renewed encounter with Bartholomew. Bartie was long and grey, and lean even when you allowed for the thickness of his cholera belt. He wore a white scarf about his throat, for his idea was that he had cancer in it. Cancer made you look grey. He too had the face of a hawk, of a tired and irritable hawk. It drooped between his hunched shoulders, his chin hanging above the scarf, as if he were too tired or too irritable to hold it up he behaved to vera and veronica as if it was they who had worried him into cancer of the throat they who tired and irritated him vera talked to him as you might talk to a sick child whose peevishness prolongs unreasonably its pain bartie's manner almost amounted to a public repudiation of her the whole house vibrated to the shutting of his door at good-night time yet when bartie came down in the morning late and more morose than ever vera's mouth made as if it kissed some visionary image of the poor thing's absurdity she didn't believe for one minute in his cancer it was an excuse for the shutting of his door she kept out of his way as much as possible yet when they were together they watched each other they watched bartie openly with sudden dartings and swoopings of his hawk's eyes vera furtively 
Her eyes were so large and long that without turning her head or any visible movement they could hold his image. But for Captain Cameron, Vera's eyes had a full, open gaze. Spread wide apart under her wide forehead, they were like dark moth's wings. They hovered, rested, flickering, vibrating to the fine tips of their corners. Whatever had been the matter with him in India, Captain Cameron had recovered. His keen, fair, highland face made Bartie's face look terrible. Ferdy was charming, not more charming to Bartie's wife than he was to Frances, not more charming to Frances than to her sisters, so that even Louis unbent and Emmeline and Edith fell in love with him. He flirted with Frances under Anthony's nose and with the aunties under Granny's nose. The corners of Vera's mouth followed the tilt of her long eyes' corners as she saw him do it. You could not think of Vera as the children's auntie, or as Bartie's wife, or as Veronica's mother. Veronica was a very little girl who sang songs and was afraid of ghosts. She slept in her mother's room, and so never could be put to bed till half-past seven, or till her mother was dressed to the last hook of her gown, the last hairpin, the last touch of powder, adhesive without bismuth, and the last shadow drawn fine about her eyelashes. When Vera, beautiful in a beautiful gown, came trailing into the room where everybody waited for her, Veronica hid herself behind Uncle Anthony's big chair. When her father told her to come out of that and say good night and be quick about it, she came slowly. She was not in the least afraid of Bartie. Showing herself bit by bit, honey-colored hair, eyebrows dark under her gold, very dark against her white, sorrowful, transparent, lucid eyes. A little girl with a straight white face, a little slender girl in a straight white frock. She stood by Anthony's chair, spinning out the time, smiling at him with her childish wavering mouth, a smile that would not spread, that never went higher than the tip of her white nose, that left her lucid, transparent eyes still sorrowful. She knew that Anthony would take her on his knee, and that she could sit there with her head tucked under his chin, smiling at him, prolonging her caresses, till Vera told him to put her down and let her go. Bartie growled. Did you hear your mother telling you to say good night? Yes, but I must kiss Uncle Anthony first, properly, once on his mouth, once on his nose, and once on his eye and once on his dear little ears. After that, Veronica went slowly from chair to chair, lingering at each, sitting first on Frances's lap, then on Vera's, spinning out her caresses, that spun out the time and stretched it farther and farther between her and the unearthly hour ahead of her. But at her father's chair she did not linger for a single instant. She slipped her hand into his hand that dropped it as if it had hurt him. She touched his forehead with her small mouth, pushed out absurdly to keep her face as far as possible from his. For, though she was not afraid of Bartie, he was not nice either to sit on or to kiss. Halfway across the room she lingered. I haven't sung London Bridge is Broken Down. Don't you want me to sing it? No, darling. We want you to go to bed. I'm going, mummy. And at the door she turned and looked at them with her sorrowful, lucid, transparent eyes. Then she went, leaving the door open behind her. She left it open on purpose, so that she might hear their voices and look down into the room on her way upstairs. Besides, she always hoped that somebody would call her back again. 
she lingered at the foot of the stairs till bartie got up and shut the door on her she lingered at the turn of the stairs and on the landing but nobody ever called her back again and nobody but nicky knew what she was afraid of veronica was sitting up in the cot that used to be nicky's when he was little nicky rather cold in his pyjamas sat on the edge of it beside her a big yellow tremendous moon hung in the sky outside the window behind a branch of the tree of heaven and looked at them veronica crouched sideways on her pillow in a corner of the cot her legs doubled up tight under her tiny body her shoulders hunched together and her thin arms hanging before her straight to her lap her honey-coloured hair was parted and gathered into two funny plaits that stuck out behind her ear her head was tilted slightly backwards to rest against the rail of the cot she looked at nicky and her look reminded him of something he couldn't remember what were you ever afraid nicky she said nicky searched his memory for some image encircled by an atmosphere of terror and found there a white hound with red smears on his breast and a muzzle like two saws yes he said i was once a lamb a white lamb was what veronica looked like and jerry had looked at him like that when he found him sitting on the mustard and cress the day boris killed him afraid what of i don't know that it was of exactly would you be afraid of a ghost now if you saw one i expect i jolly well should if i really saw one being afraid of ghosts doesn't count does it no of course it doesn't you aren't afraid as long as i'm here are you no i shall stay then till you go to sleep night after night he heard her calling to him nicky i'm frightened nobody but veronica and nicky were ever in bed on that floor before midnight night after night he got up and came to her and stayed beside her till she went to sleep once he said if it was michael he could tell you stories i don't want michael i want you in the daytime she went about looking for him where's nicky she said i want him nicky's in the schoolroom you can't have him but i want him can't be helped you must do without him will he be very long yes ever so long run away like a good little girl and play with dondon she knew that they told her to play with dondon because she was a little girl if only she could grow big quick and be the same age as nicky instead of running away and playing with dondon ronny went away by herself into the apple tree house to wait for nicky the apple tree house stood on the grass plot at the far end of the kitchen garden the apple tree had had no apples on it for years it was so old that it leaned over at a slant it stretched out two great boughs like twisted arms and was propped up by a wooden post under each armpit the breast of its trunk rested on a crossbeam the posts and the crossbeam were the doorway of the house and the branches were its roof and walls anthony had given it to veronica to live in and veronica had given it to nicky it was nicky's and ronny's house the others were only visitors who were not expected to stay there was room enough for them both to stand up inside the doorway to sit down in the middle and to lie flat at the far end what more said nicky do you want he thought that everybody would be sure to laugh at him when he played with ronny in the apple tree house i don't care a ram if they do he said but nobody ever did not even mr parsons only frances when she passed by that way and saw nicky and ronny sitting cramped and close under their roof tree smiled unwillingly 
but her smile had in it no sort of mockery at all. Nicky wondered why. Is it, said Dorothy one morning, that Ronnie doesn't look as if she was Uncle Barty's daughter, or that Uncle Barty looks as if he wasn't Ronnie's father? However suddenly and wantonly an idea struck Dorothy, she brought it out as if it had been the result of long and mature consideration. Or is it, said Vera, that I don't look as if I were Ronnie's mother? Her eyes had opened all their length to take in Dorothy. No, I think it is that Uncle Barty looks... Francis rushed in. It doesn't matter, my dear, what you think. It will some day, said Dorothy. It was perhaps the best thing she could have said, as showing that she was more interested in the effect she would produce some day than in the sensation she had created there and then. May I go round to Rosalind's after lessons? You may. May I stay to lunch if they ask me? You may stay as long as they care to have you. Stay to tea, stay to dinner if you like. Dorothy knew by the behavior of her mother's face that she had scored somewhere, somehow. She also knew that she was in disgrace and yet not in disgrace, which, if you came to think of it, was a funny thing. About this time Frances began to notice a symptom in herself. She was apt to resent it when Vera discussed her children with her. One late afternoon she and Anthony were alone with Vera. Captain Cameron had not come round that day, and Barty had gone into town to consult either his solicitor or a specialist. He was always consulting one or the other. "'You're wrong, you two, said Vera. "'You think Michael's tender and Nicky's hard and unimpressionable. "'Michael's hard. "'You won't have to bother about Michael's feelings.' "'Michael's feelings,' said Francis, "'are probably what I shall have to bother about more than anything.' "'You needn't. "'For one thing, they'll be so unlike your feelings "'that you won't know whether they're feelings at all. "'You won't even know whether he's having them or not. "'Nicky's the one you'll have to look out for.' He'll go all the howlers. I don't think that Nicky'll be very susceptible. He hasn't shown any great signs so far. Hasn't he? Nicky's susceptibility is something awful. My dear Vera, you say yourself you don't care about children and that you don't understand them. No more I do, said Vera, but I understand men. Do you understand Veronica? Of course I don't. I said men. Veronica's a girl. Besides, I'm Veronica's mother. Nicky, said Anthony, is not much more than nine. You keep on thinking of him as a child, a child, nothing but a child. Wait till Nicky has children of his own, then you'll know. They would be rather darlings, Nicky's children, Francis said. So would Veronica's. Veronica? You needn't be frightened. Nicky's affection for Ronnie is purely paternal. I'm not frightened, said Francis, but she left the room. She did not care for the turn the talk had taken. Besides, she wanted Vera to see that she was not afraid to leave her alone with Anthony. I'm glad Frances has gone, said Vera, because I want to talk to you. You'd never have known each other if it hadn't been for me. She couldn't have married you. It was I who saw you both through. He assented. And you said if there was ever anything you could do for me, you haven't by any chance forgotten. I have not. Well, if anything should happen to me... But, my dear girl, what should happen to you? Things do happen, Anthony. Yes, but how about Barty? That's it. Supposing we separated. Good heavens! You're not contemplating that, are you? I'm not contemplating anything. But Barty isn't very easy to live with, is he? 
no he's not he never was all the same bartie was impossible between the diseases he had and thought he hadn't and the diseases he hadn't and thought he had he made life miserable for himself and other people he was a jealous egoist he had the morbid coldness of the neurotic and vera was passionate she ought never to have married him all the same all the same i shall stick to bartie as long as it's possible and as long as it's possible bartie'll stick to me but if anything happens i want you to promise that you'll take ronny you must get frances to promise she'll do anything you ask her to anthony when frances came into the room again vera was crying and so frances promised london bridge is broken down build it up with stone so strong build it up with gold so fine it was twenty to eight and ronny had not so much as begun to say good-night she was singing her song to spin out the time london bridge that'll do ronny it's time you were in bed there was no need for her to linger and draw out her caresses no need to be afraid of going to bed alone frances at vera's request had had her cot moved up into the night nursery end of part one chapter seven recording by expatriate in bangor maine